The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 127, November 12, 2007. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. I'm Dave Hamilton. Of course, I'm here with uh, John Braun. Hi, John. How are you? Who was that? That was my buddy Pete. He's uh, he's sitting in and watching the uh, watching the show. And since you and I were fighting about which one of us was going to do the intro, we let Pete do it. Thanks, Pete. <laughs> uh, all right. So we have all kinds of stuff to talk to you folks about today. I, I I'm frankly I'm exhausted, but but we're not going to let that stop us. Uh, I went and Pete actually went with us. We went and saw the police last night down in Boston. Nice. Yeah. Too many concerts though lately. It's been crazy. Uh, so you went to a trade show. We've got a trade show coming up and then we've got all kinds of things to talk about with leopard and really just some general Mac stuff, some follow-ups from old shows, all kinds of good stuff. But John, why don't you, uh, why don't you start us off? You, you went to, well, tell us about the show you went to. Yeah. So I'll let you take a little, little break here, Dave. So, um, so it's called digital life for the holidays. Now there's a digital life show that they usually have at the Javits center. Uh, I believe our pals at Ziff Davis, sponsor this unfortunately we were at the podcast expo so we couldn't go to the show too um yeah. or the new media expo the My podcast and new media expo john no i think it's just new media i think they stripped the podcast it part does, it doesn't matter keep moving <laughs> so but but they have some uh small focused uh press events uh, outside of the show and so they had this one in preparation for the holidays and so i thought i'd just uh mention very quickly five things that caught my eye as far as neat things not just necessarily mac things and really not mac things but but i thought they were cool so the first thing um irobot a lot of you have seen irobots i think they make the uh thing that you know cleans your uh carpet but they had a thing that caught the, my eye because did they make, need- wait did they make the roomba yeah, I think I think they were involved in that. Ah, okay, all right. Do you think? Uh, I, I, don't I saw the, uh, It doesn't matter. Tell us, tell us what you found there, John. Uh, uh, so they had a thing, the uh, the luge. It's a little robot that cleans your gutters. You just have to see. <laughs> we'll link to it, but you just have to see it. But it's just like such a clever application of robot technology. I thought. You know, you know I it's clean got a belt pack a remote control. It kind of looks like it's well engineered to crawl in gutters and you know push out all the gunk and stuff. So I could totally so. use one of those. I cleaned my gutters on Friday, and it was cold outside. And of course, you know, you're digging into the gutter and you want to feel the bottom of it so you know that you've got all the stuff. So I didn't have gloves on, and my hands were freezing cold by the time I was done. It, I I need one of these. So yeah, we gotta get arranged to get a review unit or something, John. Yeah, so they, they are the maker also of the uh, the Roomba and other things. And uh, apparently they do it not just for home, but also for uh, industrial and uh, government uh, applications. So okay. it's, uh, I think a bunch of MIT people or former MIT people at least that uh, started up. So anyways, so the second thing, now I was going to keep up the web page, and this may be a smackdown at some point. You let me know when you're ready, Dave. But uh, Zipit Wireless, they make, uh, so it's a company that uh, is very, uh, I think this month is going to be launching a device. It's a uh, Handheld, it, it, it looks like a lot of the PDAs and other uh, type of devices, uh, but it's specifically made for messaging, music, uh, photos, stuff like that. Zip it wireless messenger, I guess it's called. It's about 150 bucks, and it looked very well engineered. You know, nice backlit keyboard and you know keyboard size. The the one thing is, I saw another vendor at the show that were introducing phones, and the keyboard was starting to get too small, at least for my, you know, I don't yeah. know what I think. 
Yeah, big, definitely but get small. I've seen these keyboards that are getting too small. Like you have to, I guess, you know, if, if, if you start with something like that, you can probably figure it out. But I, I always like to have keys that are at least as big as my fingers. Now, of course, there are people that are probably very skilled in, you know, getting around with, I mean, heck, you know, people can text with phones. So anyways, so that was the second thing I saw. It looked like a nice device. Uh, cool. The third thing, and I think, Dave, you use this, uh, Simulscribe is the name of the company. And I guess what they do is they make, uh, or they have a service that takes your voicemail and will do speech recognition and deliver it to you. Now, Dave, you showed me on this, I think on your trio, you had... You, you, or, I don't know. You showed me on one of your devices. You had your. I thought you had your. I had your your voicemail delivered as text. Yeah, I do. I have. Uh, I have. You know, Vonage here at the office and at the house. And Vonage offers a service where for every voicemail that comes in, they'll send it to you. Normally, they just send it to me as a wave file, uh, which I can then listen to. But for an extra, I don't know, an extra quarter a piece or whatever, they they'll send it to you as text. And it's fantastic uh, because that way I don't have to listen to the voicemail. I can just read the text and, you know, it's not perfect, but it's it's good enough to get the gist of most messages. At least I know who called me and what they're calling about. And it, it, it uh, it's really good at pulling phone numbers and stuff out. So uh, it works really well. I don't know if they use Simulscribe or, or what, but uh I know you said Simulscribe works with a lot of different cell carriers, so well worth it. Yeah. So they may have a deal or it's a similar technology, but it sounds like, you know, it sounds like the technology really, you know, can pick. Yeah, you you showed me. I mean, it has question marks or little marks next to things that are questionable, but you yeah. get the gist. Yeah, which it's is good. Valid. Yeah. Okay, the next guys, these people are crazy, and you probably, this is not going to be a stocking stuffer. <laughs> Uh, SE2 Labs. Uh, these people are nuts. They, they basically make an enclosure. So, you know, I mean, not everybody has a lot of time to run around and buy, you know, a uh, game system and an amplifier and, uh, you know, switches and network devices and iPods and all this sort of stuff. So these guys basically put together a device. They, they do all the work for you. Oh, so you get to you get all this stuff and uh, and, and it, what costs whatever it costs to just buy all these devices. Is that right, John? <laughs> Well, I, I would imagine there's a value at, but these guys have, for example, very quickly, they have a box, uh, uh, I guess they call it the uh, ITC-1, um, okay. and it has a Xbox, a PBR, personal video recorder, it has a uh, control system, yes. surround processor, amplifiers, a touchscreen, an iPod dock, a cooling system. The remote control they showed me is actually unique to the system, and it has a lot of very cool features in the remote, multicolored buttons to tell you when certain things are happening. Um, so these guys put together something that saves you the time of having to do it yourself. And I think you could put different game devices, not just an Xbox. They had one, I guess they had a Wii and I guess you can, you know, somewhat custom build it, but you know, I mean, sometimes your time is valuable. And uh, now of course it goes for, uh, you know, 20 K. So it's uh, 20, how much? <laughs> 20,000. 20. Now, wait a minute, John, I've got the thing in front of me here. It's nineteen thousand nine hundred bucks. There's a hundred bucks <laughs> left on the table there. Who's who's keeping that hundred bucks, John? <laughs> now wait a minute. You also said that this this you can get one with a Wii. So for twenty grand, this might be the only way you can get a Wii this Christmas season, right? Oh yeah, I yeah. would imagine. But uh, but yeah, you saw the website. I mean, it, it looks pretty sharp. So yeah, you know, 
again, if you got the dough and uh, and you don't want to spend all that time, and you then it you know looks like it, it does the jobs. They, uh, they they had a very nice enclosure, a lot of nice lighting and the control and all that stuff. So, anyways, and the is that it? Is that all I got there? Well, you, you said there were five. Oh and, yeah, the last one here. Four. Okay, number five. So uh, Leapfrog, and I think you've used this stuff too. So Leapfrog, they make a, a learning system, they call it, but uh, I guess the core of it is a pen that works on a special surface or paper. Um, but then they build a the whole thing around it. So I guess uh, one of the very basic features is you can take notes and then have them uh, uploaded to a computer and look at them later. So it it, it kind of crosses the paper-electronic divide. Yeah. And uh, that in and of itself can be useful. But then they also have, I mean, they were showing a lot of uh, custom templates where you can take the pen and you can you know, play music and, and do all sorts of things. And I think, Dave, you mentioned you've, uh, since you have some kids there, I think that this sounds like they make products targeted to... Uh, uh, the market for your kids or yeah it looks I, I i've certainly seen it i've never used one but uh certainly heard enough about it so cool all right so that was uh the digital life trade show of course in our in our mac world here we've got the, the mac world trade show coming up uh here in january we're doing all kinds of stuff there john i think we're going to be doing a podcast i we may, I know we didn't do it last year, but I think there might be an opportunity for us to do a podcast right from the show floor uh, this year. And if that happens, oh, yeah, we'll 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 be sure to let you know. I am doing my running your Mac lean, clean and mean session. I believe that's Wednesday afternoon, but it may move. Uh, so I'll, we'll keep you posted on that. Um, the uh, if you if you're planning on going to Macworld and you want to go to these sessions, uh, we are running a contest here at TMO where you can win a Platinum or a Super Pass. Uh, we're giving away one of each. Uh, you can enter once per day, as many days as you want, up until I think December 4th is when we're going to uh, cap the thing and pull the, pull the winner on December 5th. So go ahead and sign up for that. Michael will uh, we'll have already put the link right here in the, uh, in the enhanced feed, and, and of course it's already up in the show notes. And, uh, and then last but not least about the stuff we're doing here for Macworld, the... Uh, We've got these rooms available at the Milano, and I, I know we told you all about Brian Chaffin's trip out to the Milano, and uh, it really is a hotel that looks way better in person than their website would, would lead you to believe, and uh, we've got these rooms for five bucks off. I was told this morning that half of our block uh, has already sold, so if you want to do this, uh, I think the block is only available till the beginning of December anyway, but uh, we expect it to sell out before that, so if you want to save this five bucks per, uh, per, per night per room... Uh, go ahead and, and check that out. So that's uh, that's Macworld Expo. And actually, I'll, I'll use that opportunity to slide right into our first sponsor for the show, which is Harmon E Travel. And that's Harmon-E-Travel.com. Now, this is a site that you can use to book all your travel needs. Uh, these are prices that can meet and sometimes beat the big boys. Uh, but especially now that you got to book your airfare and your rental cars while you're in San Francisco for Macworld Expo, uh, go to Harmon-E-Travel.com. Also, keep your eyes peeled for cruise specials this time of year because this is the time of year when uh, when nobody travels. So there's there's always deals to be had, and you can sign up for the weekly deals and steals email. But when you do, you're going to get a confirmation email, and I've been told that uh, you're only getting one confirmation email, and you have to respond to this. So look in your spam filters for it. Again, that's Harmon-ETravel.com. And with that, John, I think we move on to. Uh, uh, an old show follow-up. We had somebody uh, who was looking for a way to skip the the last, you know, 10 seconds of a song if there was blank space or whatever and wanted it to count as a fully played song. 
And uh, and so we had a couple of comments here, and and we'll 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 let Robert explain his uh, quick and dirty method. Hey, Hazel Rig here again. Um, this is for the guy who um, wants to end his songs early on his iPod. Instead of hitting fast forward, this is what I do. I hit the center button once. You can do this without looking at it, and then put your finger at the top of the wheel and scroll all the way around once. And what that will do, it will fast forward through the song and go on to the next track, and it will register it as played. Uh, that way you don't have to modify any of your songs, you won't damage any of your files, and uh, it's simple and easy to do. Instead of just hitting fast forward, it's two, it's one button click and then a swirl around. So, yes, it's two finger taps, but I think that's a lot easier than going in and trying to manipulate all your files. Anyway, uh, I'm only halfway done with the show, so I'm sure I'll be calling you back again. I think that day Robert sent in about uh, four different voicemails as he was driving wherever he was. So thank you for that. That's a that's a fantastic idea, and, and that uh, it's good for all of us to remember because those play counts can can be really helpful when you're creating you know smart playlists and all of that good stuff. You got anything to add there, John? Nope. Nope. <laughs> all right. Uh, it, it, as another follow up, we had another listener who was looking to play. Uh, Two different regions of DVDs. He's living overseas. Uh, he's got some Region 1 DVDs that he bought here in the U.S. And then I think it's Region 2 DVDs that, that he's buying in Japan. But some other region that he's got there. And his MacBook, uh, he's got to whatever region he's, uh, for the country that he's living in, I think Japan there. And, uh, and he was going to buy a second DVD drive to uh, lock to Region 1 and play the movies that way. And we got a voicemail from Mac, and it was it was hard to hear, uh, so I'm not going to play it for you, but we'll we'll kind of paraphrase a little. And John and I did some research. Apparently, VLC player will play movies from other regions without any care in the world. The trick is that you have to launch VLC player first. You can't launch DVD player, so you've got to go into your system preferences under DVDs and CDs, and or CDs and DVDs, I guess is how it uh, how it's listed there, and dis excuse me, disable the auto launch of uh, DVD player when a DVD is put in. And then that way uh, you can just go launch VLC player if you, if you choose. And according to what we, what we hear, we don't have anything that we were able to test it with, but uh, according to what we hear that will VLC player. And we, we'll put a link to that here. It's a freeware media player. That'll, uh, that'll take care of it for you. Yeah. I'll have to try to rent some, uh, <clears throat> I think they have some at the, local store a lot of the uh, anime stuff huh. cool i didn't think they were allowed to to uh rent those out here in the u.s no they do no they, they have a no at least the store down the street they have a rack and they say warning you must have a region one or two or, you know two or whatever um player yeah all right well there you go uh moving on to chad we talked about the keychain last week and chad had a little issue so Hello, John and Dave. We're just listening to your show where you were talking about uh, the new keychain format and how it's now called login.keychain. 
And I think you finally solved the problem I've been having for months. I've been trying to sync my keychain via dot .Mac to a couple different machines. One is a brand new 10.5. One's uh, been migrated up. And the keychains just weren't syncing properly. And lo and behold, I've had some with usernames, some that are called just login. Uh, so I did, followed your advice and created a new one uh, and copied or tried to copy everything from my existing username keychain into the login one. And it asked me for my password every single keychain. I've got like 400 different uh, items in that keychain. So I couldn't possibly enter my password 400 different times. So I tried unlocking all the keychains and copying, and the same thing happened. So perhaps I'm just daft and I'm missing something, but how do you copy all those things into a new keychain? without having to enter your password for each little item it wants to copy. Uh, I'm trying to copy them all at once. So perhaps uh, I'm doing something very wrong here. Uh, but thanks for the tip, uh, and I will just keep trying this. Thanks. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll start this discussion by saying I did not have to type my password for every every item that I moved. Now, uh, I only had in my, in my uh, login keychain, I only had probably half a dozen items, maybe a dozen um, and most of the stuff, of course, was it was in the the keychain named Dave. And again, to reiterate, you move everything from the keychain from from the old or from the existing login keychain to the one named after your username and then go into the finder and rename it and, and roll it around from there. And you can listen back to show 126 for for the, the detailed explanation of that. But but don't try to move them from your existing one to login. You want to move from login out and then roll it around. That being said, uh, I think there are some things, certificates being one, where you do need to authenticate each time that you're moving it around. But I don't think every item needs to be uh, authenticated. I certainly didn't run into that. Uh, if it does, uh, I think there, there might be a problem. And, John, you did a little research on that, so I'll let you take this. Hmm. Um, oh, where are we here? Hold on. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, hold on. No. I'm with you. Um, keychain first aid. I, I just went through some, uh, you know, keychain headache, headache myself. So that's the only thing I can imagine that, that may be causing a problem with this. Otherwise, I've, I've never run into that. So, yeah, keychain first aid. So how do you get there? Uh, keychain access menu, and then keychain first aid, and uh, oh, that's yeah, that's pretty much it. And then you have, you know, like a lot of the other utilities, you have verify or repair. I suppose, you know, you can just. Uh, verify to see if there's a problem it asks for your user uh you know your admin password and then uh that's it now i've had sometimes where it hasn't i don't know sometimes it's been stubborn so you know running um you know checking your permissions may be another another thing that mm -hmm. is impacting your keychain i don't know yeah i that this shouldn't be happening so yeah the keychain repair is certainly the first place that i would that i would go i uh, yeah, yeah, well, we're going to run this geeky tip. We've talked about waking up a computer uh, on your local LAN, and there's uh, you can do it, of course, with the Apple Remote Desktop Utility, and then there's freeware utilities that you can use to do this, too. And it uses the uh, Ethernet Magic Packet, they call it, what, Magic Wake on LAN Packet. Um, somebody found an interesting way to do this over the Internet, so we'll, we'll share that with you now. Hey guys, this is Murphy at Murphy Mac. I was catching up on your shows yesterday at a long drive and went through about three or four shows. But if you can stand any more comments about waking up a PC, there's one more thing, I, or waking up a Mac, either one, 
there's um, one other thing I would add, which is uh, dslreports.com slash wakeup has a page where you can send the magic packet uh, over the Internet. So if you're at an unfamiliar computer and you want to wake up a computer back at your office, home office, home, wherever, um, you just need the IP address and of your of your router and then the MAC address of the machine you're trying to wake up. So uh, it's just two fields to fill in, and this web page will send the packet. Um, you'd have to have your router forwarding UDP port 9, um, but it's not that much to worry about because uh, if someone was messing with you, they'd have to know the MAC address. So hmm. uh, I thought I'd mention that. I'm also a big fan of the... Um, wake on land tool that, that you mentioned and in particular that there's a widget that goes with it and I, I use the widget frequently to wake up machines in my house but um, great show appreciate all you do and thanks a lot thanks Murphy Mac that's great uh, alright let's move on here you know dot max sync isn't working for me anymore with Yojimbo it works with everything else it stopped working this afternoon with Yojimbo so now I've got to read emails off of a piece of paper Craig writes in and he says, uh, what's the deal with Apple checking for your CPU speed and refusing to install Leopard if it discovers your CPU speed is less than 867 megahertz? I have a perfectly suitable 800 megahertz iBook, but Leopard won't install. By the time you read this, someone you know must have created a dead easy bypass that will allow me to install Leopard on my iBook. All right. Uh, so John and I did independent uh-huh. research here, right? And uh, first of all, clearly Apple does have a reason for choosing 867 as the uh, slowest speed on which it will install Leopard. I don't think it has as much to do with the processor speed as it does with perhaps the graphics hardware or the memory controller or various other things that were included with that 867 megahertz machine. That being said, I do know people uh, who have installed it on 800 megahertz machines with great success. In fact, my brother did it this weekend. Now, uh, I'll talk about the easy way, John, and then, well, there's two different ways. There's the really geeky way, and then there's the, the shortcut. My brother had access to a machine, a PowerPC machine, it can't be an Intel machine, a PowerPC machine uh, that Leopard would install on. So what he did was he mounted his 800 megahertz uh, non-compliant iMac in FireWire target disk mode, attached that to the eMac that was a one gigahertz machine or something, and uh, put the Leopard DVD in and installed to the FireWire drive. Good to go. No problem. Again, it has to be another PowerPC machine. Otherwise, it will format the drive as Apple GUID and it won't work. But he said it worked totally fine for him. No problem at all. And uh, now he's up and running on his 800 megahertz iMac and he said it works great. So that's path number one. And John, you found ah. path number two. And then this path uh, involves... Uh Essentially, so we found it on Mac OS X, hence a very, very good site for all sorts of wonderful tips. So doing a little uh, Google foo there, I found uh, basically it's a way to, it identifies uh, this tip without going into too much detail. We'll link to it, of course. But it, it basically suggests that you create an installed disk where you, you omit, uh, or an installed image, uh, installed disk. Uh, you basically omit the file that has these limitations within it. So the, the the trick here is that there's a file buried deep within the installer that says, okay, if you detect these things, do not go forward. Well, just get rid of that or edit it. Um, and that's what they're suggesting. So 
you know, go ahead. But, but I'm with you, Dave, sometimes. You know, what I've had this happen, actually, I was uh, trying to replay some video at a friend's place with my PowerBook G4, and it was uh, stuttering a little bit. It was, it was some uh, video I pulled off the uh, TiVo. So, um, yeah, I think it's the uh, the graphic hardware in this specific machine is not the greatest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's a G4, so video work, that's really at the extreme low end. I mean, so I'm not going to expect, expect blazing performance when I upgrade that machine. Um, All right. So that's yep. the the geeky and be careful. But well, no, you can't do too much damage. I mean, if you don't get it right, you don't get it right. So. Yeah. The first step in either path, back up, right? I mean that you know that that should oh, be yeah. the first step, even if your machine is well within spec. Back up before you install Leopard. Our second sponsor for the show is Barebone Software, and we're talking about BB Edit. Now, BB Edit is the text editor to beat the band. Uh, I, you all know that I use this all day long. Any, any coding that I do, HTML, PHP, uh, some uh, CSS, and, and of course some JavaScript, uh, but it'll go way beyond that. It'll actually do real coding. Uh, it, you can do you know, your, just about every language that's available on the Mac. And uh, it's a, it'll auto-detect the language and support uh, functions and do auto-indents and highlight your, uh, your commands and procedures New in BB Edit 8.7, they've got code folding where it'll detect what a function is and give you a little uh, twist-up triangle so that you can twist up a function if you know it's working fine. You don't need to see it. You just twist it up, and all you see is the function definition line. Uh, The preferences now are totally revamped. If you used BB Edit a while back, uh, you can now search the preferences uh, just like you can in in Mac OS X. It'll, It'll find what you're looking for and uh, make it really easy. There's a lot of, lot of stuff you can do to tweak BB Edit, and now the preferences are searchable. And of course, it has the Dave Hamilton feature, which is if you have a whole lot of windows open with a whole lot of files in every window and you quit BB Edit, the next time that you launch, bam, up come all those files, even if they reside on uh, alternate servers. It'll pull them in over FTP. Again, BB Edit from Barebones at barebones.com. With that, we'll move on to Josh and... Uh, He's got an interesting thing going on. Hi, John Dave. This is Josh calling from Austin, Texas. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to say that I love the show. I listen to it all the time. And uh, secondly, I had a question about my iBook G4. I was hoping you might be able to help me with. I've been having a problem lately where anytime I install something, and this includes software update, I just recently did the new update to the new versions of iTunes and Quick. Quick time, it did the same thing to me. When it restarts, it starts giving me all sorts of weird errors. I, I launch in verbose mode automatically, or reboot in verbose mode automatically, and it tells me, for instance, uh, it'll say com.apple.syslogd exited, terminated, and the next error is responding too quickly, throttling. And after that, it says nine more failures without living at least 60 seconds will cause job removal. And then the last thing it gives for each process is exited while shutdown is in progress. It will not restart unless demand requires it. And it gives it to me for a bunch of different processes. After com.apple.syslogd, it's sidetracked daemon. Then it's the MDNS responder. Uh, and if I let it run all the way through, it'll just boot up to the blue screen right before the login screen. And then it doesn't go any further than that. And I'm forced to do a hard reset with the power button. And then if I, once I do that and I reboot again later, it always goes up no problem after that. Um, and I wasn't sure if you guys knew at all what might be causing this problem or how I could possibly fix it. I have a feeling that doing a clean reinstall of the whole system, I'm running Tiger, by the way, 
uh, could do it, but I really would prefer to avoid that unless uh, absolutely necessary. So if you guys have any suggestions, that would be great. Um, this is probably where you're going to cut me off because I give you my email. You bet we are. John, you cut them off. This? All right. <laughs> uh, I don't know. You know, all right. So I have a couple of initial thoughts here, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll toss this around. Um, yeah, the fact that it gets stuck. So one thing, actually, while I was listening to it, it, it didn't come up when you and I were talking today, but maybe whacking some of the uh, network interfaces and then re-adding them or something. It sounds like something is seriously wrong when he's trying to, based on those messages, because I was looking for my console and I couldn't find them. So it sounds like there, there's major confusion, you know, trying to get on yeah. the network. I don't know. Um now, one thing, I don't know. I mean, we, well, I'll toss it in. We talked about it. It, it may not be, well, boom, uh, uh, but, but it was a, a rebind we were talking about, right? Pre-bind. Pre-bind. Um, it sounds like it, it happened after an install. A pre-bind is usually something, from what I understand, that still happens after an install. Yep. Uh, depending on what you're installing, um, and, and we can, you know, list a, or, or what's the command, Dave? Uh, I think you you actually yeah. Uh, it's it's uh you got to run it as root. So it's sudo space update underscore prebinding space dash root space and then slash and the slash just says go run it on my whole drive. Um, or you can you can use a piece of software like Onyx or Cocktail to uh, to do this and they'll they'll take care of it for you. It, it, again, something that didn't come up when we were talking about it, John was. Uh, again, something that Onyx or Cocktail will do, which is to delete the caches. Uh, OS ten OS ten saves a lot of its start, uh, startup uh, paths, if you will. All the things that it it kind of processes on startup, it caches those to make it startup faster the next time. But it sounds like maybe it one of those caches is corrupt, and clearing those out that uh, might do it. I think repairing permissions is probably a, a, another another good choice here too. Did I tell you about that weird uh, cache message I was getting? I think you did, actually. I don't think we talked about it here on the show, but I think you I oh, okay. about it. Yeah. yeah, a couple of times since I've had Leopard, after I've installed something, usually after a system update, it says, caches necessary for booting are being updated. System shutdown will proceed once the caches are up to date. And has yeah. a little okay, but it eventually goes away. And I've never, ever... Now, I've also noticed, I think you probably noticed in Leopard 2, that the, the software update and, and also the error reporting are a little different, but also the software update. So I'm wondering if it was always doing that, but it puts it up there now just to let you know, okay, I'm, I'm doing something. Don't worry. Because sometimes I have been concerned with Tiger and even with Leopard that, you know, especially restarting or shutting down or something, you, you're not quite sure what's going on. So Yeah. Yeah, no that 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 whole cache thing that that or that notification about caches that that I believe is new to Leopard as well. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, we're going to move on to David's question here, John. About uh, well, about well, moving to the Mac. Hey, Dave and John, this is David calling from Raleigh, North Carolina. I am a first-time listener, first-time caller. Uh, wow, welcome to Mac when Leopard came out, and I was a Windows user previously, and I have run into one. Uh, problem, so I wanted to see what your take was on it. Uh, otherwise, transition is very smooth, by the way. Um, in iPhoto, my wife is trying to post pictures to her blog site at Blogger, and what is happening is iPhoto auto-rotates the pictures for you, 
But then when you go to upload the original file to a blog site, it's coming across its native uh, settings. So it's coming across sideways, and there's no way to rotate it in Blogger. So she wants to rotate and save, and it seems like that's not capable in iPhoto. Uh, so I was wondering if you knew of a workaround or perhaps a plug-in or something like that that works uh, to solve that problem. And then secondly, if I get a twofer in, what do you sure. recommend for transferring Outlook data into um, either, I guess, iCal and iAddress book and so forth, or do you recommend uh, perhaps maybe Entourage or something like that? I see out on the uh, Apple support pages they talk about migrating from Outlook Express, but they never really give instructions for how to migrate from Outlook itself. So I wondered if you had a third-party app or plug-in again to recommend for that transition. Uh, thanks a lot. If you want to... Uh now we'll talk about it right here. Uh, I, well, we did a little bit of searching. Uh, I found a blog post from May uh, of this year <clears throat> about moving from iPhoto to Blogger. And uh, the, the as you found, if you just go and dig and find the image file, you're going to get whatever the raw image was. If you export out of iPhoto, uh, for example, if you were going to email the picture, uh, it would export it in the converted format, if you will. So uh, you want to use something that's going to export out of iPhoto, and that's what this path does. It, it actually uses, I think it uses either an email gateway or a Flickr gateway. I know email gateway to Blogger works very well. I've done that uh, actually during keynote presentations, believe it or not, to get pictures of, uh, of the keynote up on our, our live blog there. So that works very well. Uh, and then I found a, uh, a thing on SourceForge, uh, a program called Outlook 2 iCal. That's Outlook, the number two iCal. And again, we've got a link here for you. And, uh, and that, will, that will do that. Take a look at iCal before you, uh, before you commit to it because uh, you may not be entire. I'm not a happy iCal user. I know a lot of you are. It, for me, it's the to-do support that, uh, that falls short. But, uh, you know, it, for, to each their own. So there you go. You got anything to add there, John, before we move on? I got nothing. You got nothing. All right. Well, you'll, I'm sure you'll have plenty here to, uh, to talk oh, to. Oh, for the next. Yeah. To talk to Ryan about. Yeah. Hello, John and Dave. This is Ryan calling from Utah. I've got a question for you. I'm going to be buying a Mac Pro as soon as the Penryn processors come out and interested in getting some higher performance out of my hard drives. I do a lot of uh, video editing, some 3D, and uh, I've been looking. Apple has a, a hardware RAID card that it runs about a thousand dollars that's a little out of my price range um, but i've also found and the only one i've found that's compatible is uh, a company called high point technologies they make uh, the rocket raid series pci express cards that uh, support sata 2 uh, raid for internal drives and uh, basically what i'm wondering is i've also i also know that the apple disk utility is capable of doing raid um, and i'm just want to set up a couple, a couple of the drives, uh, stripe them internally. Just do a, a RAID zero uh, setup, stripe them to get to faster read and write speeds, and also to make one logical volume out of a couple, uh, out of two one terabyte drives, make one two terabyte logical volume. What I'm wondering is, is uh, performance-wise, am I going to see a big difference if uh, if it's running on the, if I'm running a hardware card versus just having the operating system? doing it on a software level. I know that's going to take quite a bit of calculations, I would expect, um, in order to be able to to get the 
get that running smoothly, I'm wondering, am I going to see a hit? Is it going to make the OS run slower? Or, and also, am I going to see a performance hit as far as bandwidth and, and performance on the, on the drives themselves? Is it going to be noticeable or is it not that big a deal? Anyways, uh, appreciate any input or opinions you have on that. And uh, once again, it'll be a Mac Pro running Leopard as soon as uh, the Penryn processors come out. So, all right, John, you want to uh, you want to take a crack at this? No, not really. But uh, no, of course I do. <laughs> it's right up your alley. So, uh, anyways, I mean, this gets into, into kind of a philosophical uh, discussion here. But I would say, with unlimited time and resources and money, uh, my preference would be an external unit. Um, with a high-speed bus, if you, if you want to go for super-duper uh, performance. Um, in general, and, and you can chime in here, Dave, because I think you've done more hands-on. I've done more theoretical, though, you know, more PC level. But, I mean, uh, the, a piece of hardware, if it's only designed to do one thing, like doing software RAID and all that, uh, can have the potential if it's not, you know, low-end. And this is where it, it gets kind of hard to predict. I mean, you can have an embedded processor that's really fast or really slow um, if you pay the money. Uh, similar with interfaces like Fiber Channel and some of the high-speed sk- high SCSI is very, very fast. So um, in general, if you have the money, though it may, you may have to pay for it, an external solution uh, on a high-speed bus will give you the best performance. Um, uh, on the other hand, software, the nice thing about that is that it's it's free. <laughs> um, you can use your computer, but the, the thing is, if, if you're going to be using that computer for a lot of other things, then you may notice uh, some performance hits. And, you know, that's just uh, a start of the theoretical discussion on my end, Dave, and you can you know, kind of toss it back at me. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Yeah, it, in general, if you've got a chip that's built to do one thing and tasked with doing one thing, uh, you can then, you, you don't have to worry about, well, if your Mac Pro is is running at full tilt with whatever you've got it serving, uh, then you've got the drive running full tilt with getting the data to and from it as, as efficiently as it can. So, yeah, in theory, hardware is, is a better solution. Uh, again, you're balancing cost versus performance, and you got to look at what you're doing. If you think your Mac Pro is going to be running at about, you know, maybe 25%, well, you're probably going to be okay. Uh, the only thing is, I, I always get really, really edgy about software raid, um, just because if, if something happens, you know, we, we've all seen... Operating system. It's software. Yeah, exactly. We've all seen stuff with operating systems. I mean, look at Leopard, right? You know, it just came out and there were all those issues with the the keychain and some people couldn't log in or authenticate. You know, it's like, man, is that what you want between you and your data? Right. Because that's what happens. Suddenly you've got the OS between you Uh and your data. And uh I don't know. I, I would go hardware. The, the well, you know, this gets more theoretical, too, because in general, when I've seen what I'm going to call an embedded system, which is tasked to do something very focused, um, they typically don't, you, you know, like the controller in your car. Yeah. It's not a OS and a PC or a Mac, even. Um, you know, that can't crash. Right. Same thing. I mean, a piece of hardware in general, I would say, is just, you know, it's, it's, it's doing one job. So, yeah. I, I, I'd go... It, when it comes to data, well, it, you know, we've got uh, various RAID setups on the servers that host TMO and, and all the other backbeat sites, and not one of them is software RAID. There's just no way that I would, I would even consider doing that. So, um, so it's it, a special it, controller. You got for it. Those yeah. Needs. yeah. 
Yeah, it's an, I mean, it's an embedded controller in the uh, in the servers we buy, but uh, but it is. It's a dedicated controller, just like you said. It's, chances are it's going to crash a whole lot less than uh, some software that, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe that's just me. Uh, but that's, uh, I think, I think that's it for today. We've got, uh, we've got some stuff to talk about here. That's- yeah, I guess what that also is, you know, I'd say just look for, be- there are benchmarks out there like Tom's Hardware, I think is a very good site for, uh, right? Yeah, absolutely. For uh, learning about how certain drives and certain RAID arrays and, and other things like that perform. Um, that's where we were kind of dancing around it because you can't just say, I mean, guaranteed software hardware is the best performer. It's uh it all depends on what you have at your disposal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so it, we're we're going to be doing the show uh, next week. Of course, we'll do a show Monday night, and then and then we go into Thanksgiving Thanksgiving holiday here in the U.S. Um, on Sunday night at eight p.m. Eastern, I'm actually joining uh, Victor Kayao. Uh, from the typical Mac user, user podcast on his typical Mac user podcast, it's a it's a live thing. He does it through TalkShoe. You can get it as a podcast, but you can also call in. So uh, if you want to try and play maybe stump the geek, I think we're going to be talking about Leopard and, uh, and uh-huh. some other things. We're going to so, call it. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, John. Yeah. So that's Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern, and you you can check out the uh, typical Mac user podcast, and that will uh, that'll that'll get you the info on on how that works and i'm actually looking forward to it it should be should be interesting to see how see what this is like to do live versus uh with with great preparation that uh, that we go through hours and hours of painstaking preparation that we go through here john uh-huh. and while i think next week will be a regular show I, we've got a review cast coming up here soon john and you know we've got uh christmas season the holiday season right around the corner so it's a perfect time to talk about maybe a couple of our our favorite stocking stuffers are uh, where's the loot man that's right there's the loot that's right where where is the loot no i'm oh you got as an you got the loot man you gotta get the loot. Well, that oh, i got that loot but not the other loot <laughs> uh iphone alley of course is the site that uh, michael johnston runs and michael johnston is uh the person who has converted this show to aac for your listening and viewing pleasure Cashfly Hosting is the place you downloaded the podcast from. And the podcast marketplace this month includes the A5 and A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebone Software, one free download from audible.com as long as you use the link, PDF Pen from Smile on My Mac, and Harman-Etravel.com where you can get your airfare and rental cars for Macworld Expo and pretty much anything else that you need for your travel. Backbeat Media Podcast Network is the place to go to sponsor the show. And, uh, I think that's it, John, right? Did I miss anything? Did I get, any, get anything wrong? Well, if I get something wrong, they'll us? tell me. Can oh. we talk about how to call us? No, I've gotten really bad about that, actually. Why don't you tell them, John? Uh, 206-666-GEEK. That's right. That's 4335. And uh, I guess that's it. We're out of here. You got anything else to tell them, John? They can uh, mm-hmm. Skype to uh, MacGeekGab or email to feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's another way. But 206-666-GEEK works. The webpage. What's that? The webpage. So we'll bring Pete back in, and, and he's going to give you some wise words of advice. Don't get caught. made up.